Looking for a verbal hand job? Yes, 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 yes. Release your frustrations and listen to Blunt Talk on Renegade Talk Radio. Welcome, Renegade Nation, Renegade Talk in Maui, where we don't sugarcoat shit. My name is Richie, along with Marla. It's Friday. Thank God it's Friday, huh, Marla? Oh, it's Aloha Friday. Aloha. Aloha. Uh, And we have Hedrick Smith on, an author and a former New York Times Pulitzer-winning reporter who wrote the book, Who Stole the American Dream? And guess what? You're going to find out, Renegade Nation. You need to get this book and you need to read it. We got Hedrick on and he's going to explain a little bit about the book. We're going to inform ourselves and Renegade Nation. And we really appreciate all the downloads. Carl, great job on Fox Fox Television uh, today about the uh, Fort Hood thing and the gun and all all that. And uh, we appreciate Launch Fox and Marla. how, How are you? And Hedrick, how are you? I thought ACDC stole the American dream. <laughs> yeah, well, you could have lost a bit there. I'm doing fine. I'm doing. I'm not sitting in Hawaii, you know, and I'm, so I'm looking out the window at some sort of gray skies here. Oh, yeah. It's trying to be spring, and you guys are doing better than that. But other than that, I'm doing just fine. That's great, Hedrick. It's great to have you back on Renegade. Yeah, it sure is. Hey, we had Hedrick on in January, and he's back on, and hopefully every month we can have him on to explain to you, Renegade Nation, why you're having the problems that you're having. Uh, Hedrick is a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter and he wrote a book and it provides an eye-opening account, Renegade Nation, of how over the past four decades, a series of seismic changes dismantled the American dream. This is a book full of surprises and revelations, the major policy changes that began under Jimmy Carter, the accidental beginnings of the 401k plan with disastrous economic consequences for many, and how the new economy disrupted uh, this virtuous circle. So you need to get this book, and you need to read it and pass it out to your friends on Facebook and Twitter and all these social uh, search engines so you can understand why you're in the mess that you're in with mortgages and why you don't have a job and why this health care is going on and Hedrick's going to explain and Hedrick what is going on with the banks back in the day the, the mutual loans from these banks and mutual funds and and can you get into a little bit of that and also uh, why Walmart was so successful in, in, in uh, dealing with China well one of the things about the mortgage uh, thing is what you're talking about with the banks is I, I had thought along with a lot of other people that the people who got suckered into those subprime loans, high interest rates, big fees, uh, bad terms, uh, balloon after a couple of years, high cost, were mostly uh, people who were not too smart, uh, low end of the income scale, uh, minorities, blacks, Hispanics in LA, East LA or whatever. And then I discover when I get into it that the main victims of the mortgage uh, subprime crisis were middle-class Americans, solid uh, borrowers who had good credit ratings, solid jobs, could afford to pay off, and they got they got cheated into, snookered into, bamboozled into, and, and literally lied into all kinds of terrible loans. And what was even worse, I discovered that, that during the housing boom, and this is really still hurting millions of American families today. During the housing boom, Americans lost $6 trillion of their precious savings that they had stored up in their homes uh, by being talked into constant refinancing, second mortgage, and most of this money shifted from ordinary people to the big banks. The banks just made out like bandits. 
Edric, why did the banks do this? Why wh- is there some conspiracy here to take over no, the middle class? Just sheer unadulterated greed. They found out that the rest of us were suckers, so we weren't paying much attention. We didn't read the fine print. We couldn't understand the stuff. We took them at their word. I mean, it's amazing. I'm, I talk to people. I've got people in my book telling me, you know, the bank even offered to send the closing officer to my house mm-hmm. so I could do it there, and it, it was so convenient. I said, God, they're really nice. And what they did was they were just the guy wasn't checking the documents carefully the fellow who came out to his house was shuffling him fast and he didn't stop and look and see that he got something terrible and i'm talking about i'm not talking about some jerk i'm talking about small business people i'm talking about people who work uh, you know high level medical technicians who work in emergency rooms of hospitals i'm talking about people who are smart mm-hmm. and they just simply got taken and then some of them you know got flyers in the mail i described a story of one small businessman who got flyers in the mail and they promised him a certain monthly payment and it sounded like it was going to be better than the monthly payment he was getting only the problem was it wasn't the monthly payment he was actually going to pay. I mean, they literally lied to him and he went back to to go chase him uh, and the mortgage broker company had kind of gone out of business or renamed itself. He couldn't find it. And then he went to the bank and the bank said, hey, you signed that. You did that with a mortgage broker. All we did is take the loan from them. You can't come after us. And and you you see the banks now paying. I mean, the banks have now been paying um, well over $25 billion. They probably paid $40 billion in fines and settlements for all the bad mortgages they float on people. I mean, you can't pick up a major financial paper like the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or, or Investor Daily, something like that, and go for two weeks without reading that some bank has admitted something else it did wrong on the mortgage. My question is, my, yeah, my question is, Hedrick, how come no, none of these banksters went to uh, jail after they defrauded the American public with all this nonsense and lying and conniving and snookering these people into thinking they were getting good deals when actually they were getting, they were getting, they were being lied to. Ripped off. Ripped off is the good, good word. How come none of these, I mean, if I did something like that, I'd be in jail for the rest of my life. How come these banksters got out of this and who is the blame? Is it, is it the administration of the Bush administration um, and, and Obama or, or what? Yeah, that is a jackpot question. Uh, Frontline did a, uh, did a documentary on this thing. Guess what they called it? They what? called it the untouchables. Oh. Not only too big to fail, they're too big to jail. Uh, there's several reasons. <laughs> and by the way, there's, there's a really interesting new book coming out on this subject right now, but I've written about it. There, there, there's several reasons. Number one, you know, our attorney general had this theory of what he called collateral damage, and the secretary of treasury, Tim Geithner, had the same idea, collateral damage. If you, call, if you go after one of these banks for a financial fine, what is called a settlement. Notice I just told you they paid $35, $40 billion in fines and settlements. Mm -hmm. But if you go after them criminally and you run the risk that the bank gets shut down, then it could have a huge ripple effect throughout the financial sector. Now, what they never say is, what if you just went after the bank vice president or you went after the head of the trading division or the head of the mortgage division or the CEO, the guys who were responsible? The bank isn't going to collapse. It's those individuals they haven't gone after. Part of it is, uh, I think, that they live in the same fraternity. Uh, the people who, who run the Justice Department, between being in and out of government, I mean, uh, uh, Lenny 
or the guy who was running the uh, the, the criminal division of the Justice Department under Obama, during his years out of government, was working in Covington Burling, which is the law firm that defends most of the banks. There you go. They're all these yeah. guys. These guys are all in the same fraternity. Right. Eric Holder, the, the Attorney General. Uh, was working for that same firm. He was in the Clinton administration, then he goes to Covington Burling, then he comes back in the Obama administration. And there's a mindset. There's an interesting mindset when you go into this. It, it took a while for me to understand this. They look at the kind of crime that you would do if you stole something from a store, if you if you lied on your financial statements, if you if you applied for welfare and you lied as to whether or not you had income or, or the boyfriend was still living at home if you were claiming that there was no man who earned income who was living in the house. They saw that as a crime. And what they see these financial crimes as is violating the law. Violating the law is different. It gets punished by fines. Crimes get punished by jail. So part of it's a mindset. Part of it is protecting the fraternity. Wow. Part of it is part of it is also the Justice Department protecting its record. Well, look, if you go uh, after little criminals, it's easy to win the case. You've got course. a really powerful Justice Department. If you go after one of these big banks, I mean, they've got fleets of these Wall Street lawyers who can tie you up forever. They can bleed you. You go after four cases like that and mm -hmm. you win one, you look like you're a loser, right? Well, so look, look, okay. Well, look at look at Jamie Dimon from Morgan uh, Chase uh, Morgan Morgan Stanley. It was it Morgan Stanley with him or Chase? JP Morgan. Yeah, JP, JP Morgan. Morgan. He paid a 2 billion dollar fine. Who the bank actually paid the fine to protect his ass from going to jail. They made a deal within their own little brotherhood that they have. Well, they paid a bigger fine than that. Oh, was they it? Paid a fine. They paid a fine of more than $6 billion. Oh, that's right. It was $6 now, billion. Now, i got to tell you, in fairness to Jamie Dimon here, I'm a journalist, uh, it was very difficult. You said they did it to protect this tale. That may be true, but the absolute ability to follow the paper trail from the people who did the mortgage fraud all the way to Jamie Dimon is difficult to do. I mean, so that's are you not telling... Easy, are that's you, not are, easy prosecution work. Right. Are Some you of the problem here is that the cases are tricky, but that no big guys went to jail? Impossible. So you're telling Impossible. me that the CEO of one of the biggest banks in the world did not know that this was going on? Hard to believe, isn't it? That is hard to believe. Let me start some believe, of that. Hard to believe when, when, his, when his board of directors doubles his pay or gives him a 50% pay increase after they pay the fine. Because he was smart enough to run the bank really well. <laughs> yeah, he ran it well, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, you, you, I, I oh we my have God. a terrible problem here. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a, it's, people talk of this as legal schizophrenia that the government will go <laughs> after people at the low end, the little criminals, the welfare cheats. Uh, the petty uh, pickpockets, the, yeah, the pettiness, and so yeah. forth, as they should if they're breaking the law. But they won't go after the big guys. What about what about all these banksters that are now jumping off buildings? It's been reported like seven or eight of them have committed suicide. You think this is uh, th th these people are caught up in some of this uh, this dragnet and they're, they're they 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 they're getting they're going to go to jail and so they figure well or are they being pushed off buildings? You know, uh, I have to tell you, I am not familiar with so many of those suicide cases. I mean, it was famous in the night, you know, when they had the crash in 1929, 30, 31, mm -hmm. 32. Lots of people were jumping out. I, what's interesting now is I don't think many are. There are, you know, there are a few cases where somebody, you know, is in the garage and then turns on the car and, and, and dies that way. And there's occasionally somebody shoots himself. But I've been amazed that that actually the opposite. There really haven't been very well, many of those. And I think what that reflects is there's not a lot of 
pressure uh, that they fear the Justice Department taking them to jail. Um, there's a there's a get out of jail free card if you're big enough. Mm-hmm. Again, let me go back to that phrase. You know, the phrase was too big to fail. We couldn't let those banks fail, so we bailed them out, taxpayer money. The other phrase is too big to jail. And that's part of it. They're so big, they're so prominent, they're so wealthy, and it's a very hard thing for people like the Attorney General Eric Holder and, and Lanny Brewer and people like that to say, we're going to send our brothers, our cousins, our buddies, our law school classmates uh, and their clients to jail. I, I like the way you say it's schizophrenic because they're the ones that actually caused it. And then the taxpayers of the United States had to bail the banks out who ripped off the taxpayers to begin with. That's correct. It's amazing how schizophrenic it is. Well, it's not only that, but if you look at it, we had to bail them out. And the idea was we would bail them out, and then they would turn around and take the money they got from the taxpayers to make the banks healthy so they could bail out the homeowners who got stuck because the housing prices collapsed. Right. And suddenly they're hanging out of a house they bought for half a million dollars, and the housing market goes kaboom, and the house is now worth $350,000. So they owe the bank $150,000 more than they did yesterday. Right. And it's not their fault. No. It's not like they were it's not like they were stupid. It's not like they, they, they pulled a trick. The whole damn market, the bottom fell out, and the bottom fell out because the big guys were not doing their job and the regulators weren't watching them. So the idea was bail out the banks, the banks would bail out the homeowners, the whole economy will recover if people can get out from that mountain of debt and we'll begin to move. But they didn't do that. They didn't do that. And, and why not? What happened? Well, they, what they didn't, well, because Hank Paulson, who was the Treasury Secretary under George W. Bush, and, uh, and Geithner, who was then president of the New York Fed, did not drive a hard bargain when they negotiated the bailout for these banks. They didn't force them. They said, you will help the homeowners, and they left it to them voluntarily. They didn't say, that's a condition of getting taxpayer money. You must do it. Yeah, but Hedrick, they're part. Hedrick, they're part of the bankster community because um, um, uh, Timoth- uh, Timothy, uh, what's his name? Geithner. Geithner came from Wall Street. He was wasn't he the president of the New York uh, stock uh, stock exchange or no, something? He's president of the New York Fed. And what's but, interesting, Geithner says, "I've never worked for a bank, <laughs> so I'm not a banker." But guess what? When you're what? president of the New York Fed, guess who your bosses are? The board of directors of the New York Fed are the bosses of the biggest New York banks. So you're not a banker, but you're working for bankers. And Hank Paulson, who was the Treasury Secretary, had been the head of Goldman Sachs, one of the biggest investment banks on Wall Street. Exactly. And before him, Robert Rubin, who'd gone under Clinton. So, I mean, what you've got here is you've got a symbiosis between Wall Street and the government, and it doesn't matter which party's in power. Doesn't matter whether it's the yeah, Democrats or the Republicans, yeah. the links are there. The links are there. The, we've always said here at Renegade that the banksters control everything. And if, if, if now they're giving money out, like like I, I see on TV, all of the TV commercials for the cars. Oh, get a loan, zero percent. I mean, they're just giving the money away right now. You can get a mortgage even if you have a bad credit. I think. Right now. No, I don't agree with you there, Rich. It's much harder now than it I used disagree to be. too. What are you talking about? It's a lot, but the banks are made. Understand? Understand what's going on here. What's going on is the banks are getting money at virtually 0% interest from the Federal Reserve. It's called the special bank window where they can go borrow money from Mm -hmm. the Federal Reserve. This is not taxpayer money. This is made-up money, fictional money from the Federal Reserve. They just give them a credit. And then they turn around and they give you or me or whoever else needs a mortgage loan, a loan at 4%, which is a tremendous deal when you look back over the last 30 years of American history. Exactly. 4%, that's a great mortgage. That's a great mortgage. Mm -hmm. But the bank is making all that money 
because it's getting the money virtually for free from the Fed. It's yeah, I crazy. Call, I call it invisible money. We, yeah, we, we, Nobody we, exchanges yeah. money anymore. You never see money. It's all invisible. You buy a home and there, you never see money. You never see anything. So I have a, I have a question. Where, where's the money coming from? Well, that's really complicated. The <laughs> Fed has a has a way of, in effect, of creating money. Yeah, a, I, it does it by by loaning money to the banks, and then whether or not that money uh, that they loan to the banks is backed by enough reserves is up to Congress and the Fed to set the amount of reserves. They have to keep a certain percentage, three, four, five percent of all the money on deposit. They have to keep it in the bank so they won't collapse again. But and then what they do and they 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 expand them. What they do is they call it expanding the money supply. They expand the money supply when the economy's tight and and people are afraid to invest and people are afraid to spend. And then when the economy starts to recover and you worry about inflation, then they tighten the money supply. So they expand, they tighten it. It's kind of like blowing up a balloon and they're letting the air out, and then blowing up the balloon and letting the air out. Well, who's in charge of regulating this right now? Federal Reserve it used to be, you know, our friend uh, Bernanke, and now it's Janet Yellen and and the folks there. The Federal Janet Reserve has been Yellen. doing this, She's a new, you know, for yeah. for a century. Right. She's the new uh, per, the person in charge. Mm-hmm. She took uh, Geithner's job, and then Bernanke was the chairman of the Fed, mm-hmm. and now this uh, Janet. Uh, what, what's her last Janet name? Janet Yellen. Yellen. She's the head of the Fed. She took the place of Bernanke. Mm-hmm. So and have- she's actually she's interested in helping the workers. She she wants to see the money go through the banks to help average people. She's spoken out. You a mean a times good guy? And said that was what she wants to do. Well, that'd be she's great if that get happens. The banks to do it, but. If the Congress doesn't put the leverage on the banks and make them do it, then the banks do it if they want. And if they can make more money doing it some other way, they go their they own go way. way. They're okay, we're tough g- politically. The banks wow. are fair. I mean, one of the things that, that's really important in my book, Who Stole the American Dream, is this analysis of the symbiosis between Wall Street and the bank and the government. And there was one point at which there were so many people who had come from Goldman Sachs, the Wall Street banking firm, into the government under Hank Paulson in the, in the Bush administration, that the New York Times had a headline that said, Government Sachs. Government Sachs. Goldman Sachs, but <laughs> Government Sachs. Government, <laughs> government Sachs. Anyway, we're going to take a break. Renegade Nation, when we come back, um, uh, Hedrick Smith is our guest uh, today on Renegade. He's the author of Who Stole the American Dream. Uh, you need to go get this book. You can get it on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Nobles, all over the place. But when we come back, we're going to be talking about the middle class and how a Walmart pre- the American suppliers to move to China and how that has affected all of us here in the United States. And, and uh, Hedrick, I want you to get into that and explain to Renegade Nation um, how that works and why it worked and how Walmart controlled that uh, whole thing and made it uh, the way it is today and how we're stuck in with this. Nothing's made in America anymore, okay? I'll be right with you. Okay, we'll be right back. Renegade Nation, hang in there. It's Aloha Friday. Hi, Marlon. This is a great interview. I love hearing all this stuff. Renegade Nation, you need to wake up. We'll be right back with Hedrick Smith. Here's the doobies. The number one, the number one internet shock radio network. Shock me, shock me, shock me with that deviant behavior. Renegade, Renegade Talk Radio. Welcome back, Renegade Nation. Renegade Talk, Richie and Marla with Hedrick Smith, the author of Who Stole the American Dream. We're going to be talking about Walmart and China next. 
Get ready for a ride, Renegade Nation. Hi, Marla. Hi, Richie. If this didn't happen overnight, it took time. It took time, and that's why we're playing the Chambers Brothers. Very smart move, Marla, on that. Renegade Nation, keep listening. from the late 60s. What a great tune this was. We have Hedrick Smith, the author of Who Stole the American Dream and Why You're in the Mess That You're In. We just got done talking about the banks and the banksters, Wall Street, and uh, how all that works. And now we're going to get into Walmart, and Hedrick is going to talk about this. This is in the book, Renegade Nation. We're giving you tidbits of the book. You need to get the book. You need to go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's all over the place. You can get the book, buy it, and read it, and you'll find out why you're not happy or you don't have the money that you're supposed to have or you're out of work. And these are the reasons. And this is what Hedrick wrote about in the book. And we're going to be talking about how Walmart pressured American suppliers to move production over to China. Hedrick, it's all yours. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I uh, went by Walmart, and I think a lot of people do. I think they can get something less expensive. Uh, and, you know, you notice you see some stuff. You think it's a few things come from China, maybe television sets, maybe this thing, that thing, or another thing. It turns out that 80% of what Walmart gets from around the world comes from China. Wow. Old Sam Walton, uh, wow. when he was still alive, went over to Asia and he was absolutely blown away. He went actually first to Korea. I was more taken with South Korea than China. And then China, and they began to realize that they could not only get things for cheap, but the profit margins they have on goods made in China are far higher than they are on goods made in America or in Europe or in Mexico or in Canada, something like that. So what they began to do is they began to put pressure, uh, and this is back in the 80s, Oh, I was going to ask you when. <laughs> on, on American companies that made bikes or made uh, toaster ovens or, or made all kinds of gadgets for the kitchen uh, and certainly television sets, things like that. And they said, look, if you want to have space on our shelves and we got 3,500 stores in America and we got 100 million people coming in and out of our Walmarts in America every week, if you want to have desirable space, and by the way, the way companies fight for space, um, you know, in, in Walmart, in Kmart, in Target, in these big chain stores is enormous. I mean, that's one of the biggest battles going. If you want space, they said, you've got to come in with what we call the low price point, the lowest point of the entry point in any given set of goods, in jeans and and toaster ovens and bicycles and lawnmowers, whatever it is, you know, we want to catch the eye of the public with the lowest price point. And we talked to guys who literally went to these meetings down in Bentonville, Arkansas, where the headquarters of of Walmart are, and they would go into these meetings and get briefed by Walmart. And we talked to guys who said to us, they were told, you cannot produce for our lowest price point unless you move to China. You've got to move to China. 15, 20% of your production. And part of what happens is when they start to do it and they get the benefit, particularly on on low-cost consumer items, T-shirts, socks, uh, kids' toys, very inexpensive items, it tends to suck the rest of the the production over there. And we talked to guys who follow global supply chains. Mm -hmm. And one of them, uh, a guy named Jereffi, who is a professor at Duke University, he studies global... uh, supply chains. He just said, you know, China and Walmart are commercial 
marriage made in heaven. They were meant for each other. One's a huge producer, one's a huge seller. Uh, they're interested in the low end of the market, uh, and they, they dominate it, and they work together. And actually, we went to the port of Shenzhen in China, which is Shenzhen. where a lot of the goods go through. And the people there say, Walmart's our best customer. You know what's surprising when you talk about this? When I was uh, overseas, when I, I was in Hong Kong, and I wasn't in China because it was communist then, uh, we, when we purchased um, anything in Hong Kong, and I'm, I'll bring Hong Kong up as an example, we were only allowed to bring back a certain amount of, of um, uh, products back. And um, I mean, you could get um, a, 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 a suit made, t- tailor made to you for only like five American dollars back then. So I guess the question is, how did Walmart and Sam Walton and the United States government pull this together to do business with China when we're having problems with China politically? How, how does all that work? Well, what happened was, if you remember, and actually the Clinton administration had a lot to do with it, what happened was that they sold the American public on the idea that there were a billion people in China, now there are 1.2 billion people in China, this is back in the early 90s, -hmm. and they said, look, if we can sell American goods to China, it's the greatest untapped market in the world. General Motors can sell cars there. General Electric can sell all kinds of electrical appliances there. IBM can sell computers there. Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. DuPont can sell all kinds of chemical products there and so forth. So they sold America and they sold Congress on the idea that, that we were going to get enormous numbers of jobs because we were going to sell to them. Now, in fact, I don't think that's what the businesses had in mind at all. They understood that what Chinese had was cheap labor. Exactly. They did not have enough money as consumers to buy American goods and that China would become the new production platform for American companies overseas to make goods. Apple makes its cell phones over in China and ship them back into America. I think the companies understood what they were doing, but um, either the Clinton administration didn't understand what was going, or it or it did, and it. I winked find at it. I find that hard. I'm to believe. sure they looked <clears throat> the other way. Yeah, I, 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 so you they know, winked at it, yeah. and they sold the public and they sold the Congress on the idea that we were going to benefit from this, and we, it was it was baloney. It was worse than baloney, but I'll be polite about it, right? Um, but it, it was absolute falsehood as to what was going to happen. Now, understand, this is relevant today. Obama is in the process of negotiating what they call a Trans-Pacific Partnership. It is a new deal with Asians, a trade deal with Asians, which is going to build on the trade deals we made with, uh, with the Chinese. It is not going to help the American middle class. There are going to be some cheaper goods involved, but we're going to lose more and more jobs. The same thing happened in the, in the trade deal we made with the Koreans. The same thing happened with the trade deal we made with Mexico. The same thing happened with the trade deal we made in, with Central America. The companies have benefited enormously. The CEOs and the stockholders have made enormous amounts of money. We've lost gajillion American jobs. One estimate I read um, from the Economic Policy Institute says we've lost 3.6 million jobs to China over the last two decades. And one of the hardest hit places is one of the most high-tech places in America, and that's Silicon Valley. We've lost all kinds of computer-related jobs to China. And if you look at, if you look at India, um, IBM has moved more of its workforce from America to India because they can get college-educated Indians to work for about 10% as much as they can get. Exactly. Yeah, I read that in the book. Yeah. So, so it isn't just, it isn't just blue-collar workers. It's white-collar workers. It's, it's, it's college-educated people. It's a stupid 
a commercial policy for us to have. Well, who? So, so, so oh, I call. And there's one part of it that you haven't gotten to. It's called taxes. If you are an American company and you operate in America, the tax rate on your profits is 35%. Exactly. If you're an American company like Apple and you produce cell phones in China, your tax rate is zero, zero. until you bring the, mm-hmm. ta- the, the profits back to America. And they don't bring the but profits back. But you don't back. do that unless you gang up with Goldman Sachs and Pfizer and all these other big companies. Right. And then you go lobby Congress. And guess what? In 2005, they got a special tax rate on all those foreign profits, 5.5%. Hedrick, so they're paying lower taxes we jobs overseas and profits overseas than in America. So there's a tax incentive to move overseas. That's crazy. It's, it is crazy. And we talked about this with GE and Apple and Google. They all have overseas accounts and they have all this uh, all this activity going overseas, but they don't have to pay all the taxes. I don't know how a company like General Electric makes $34 billion in profit and pays only, you know, what I can't remember the they exact played, number. They, they paid zero Zero taxes. in federal taxes or something. Oh, they even got a rebate of $4 million or $4 billion $4 back. $4 billion. They got, you got it. So, You've done a good job reading that. That book, Richie. It's in that book. Uh, yeah, I, GE I, made GE made ten billion dollars in the middle of the financial collapse, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, and it paid zero federal taxes. In fact, it got a four billion dollar tax rebate. I have that's a, nuts. It is nuts. And I have a question for you, uh, Hedrick. How does uh, Jeffrey Immelt, who is the czar, whatever happened to the czars of the Obamaable administration? The the czar, the job czar, who is actually shipping jobs out of the United States, you know, to China, and he's the job czar and the person who's responsible to reignite the job market in this country. Why? Because the they're heck? all criminals they're all up crooked. there on Dismal Hill. Well, I hate to, t- <laughs> hate to tell you the Don't problem is that the big boys have bought the government. You know, people they think the government go. doesn't work for, doesn't work. This is, they're wrong. Government works. It works for the people who have paid for government to work for it. Now, just a, that's a very listen to that again. It's, yeah, you got it. Got to hear that about three times before it goes. Say it through. again. It works for the people who paid for it to work for them. And you're just we've been talking about the banks. Now we're talking about Walmart. Now we're talking about General Electric. These big companies have been buying the government, and we need to buy it. We need to get it back for ourselves. How do we do that? Organize, organize, and get active. Organize, get active, get angry, and start doing things about the minimum wage, start doing things about fixing the tax system. Uh, most of all, start doing things about fixing big money in politics. Exactly. You've got to get our hands on that. And the Supreme Court just kicked us in the groin again this week. Yeah, that yeah. again, the Supreme yeah. Court, where they said you can, uh, these wealthy, wealthy one percenters, renegade nation, and you might think it might not affect you. It does affect you. It affects they're buying, every, they're buying the government. They're buying, buying the government. Policies that work for them. That's they're buying in the politicians. And it was a Supreme Court ruling, and they got what they wanted, and it is going to affect you, and it's going to affect your family. And you need to wake up. You need to start thinking, how do we reclaim the American dream and reconnect the American genius back into our own country instead of helping out all these other countries? But these banksters and and the people that we've put in power inside the beltway have now taken over, and you're at the mercy of them. 
And this is what this control money in politics. Control money. How to control money in politics. How to control money. Control money in politics. How to control money. Well, you know, first of all, I mean, there are people there. I don't know what's happened in Hawaii. I don't know your state, but 16 states have now passed resolutions that call for repealing the Citizens United decision. That was a decision uh, back in 2011 that said uh, that that corporations and other entities could give unlimited campaign donations. Before that, there was a limit on it. That was, now there, yeah. there wasn't. So there are people saying, hey, we're going to have to mend the Constitution in order to control big money in politics because otherwise the big boys are simply buying the government and the government is doing what they want and it's hurting little people. Hedrick, I have a question for you. Do you think that the way around, or not, not, not the way around, the, the way to clean this up is to clean Washington out and start over again with a fresh new blood and get all these lobbyists out of there? Because in the book, you go back into 1971, and Renegade Nation, you have to understand, this is a plan that was set in place back in 1971 for them to take over, and they have done a masterful job of it, and you've been lied to. And in the book... In the book, Richie, I want to tell you, you're crank. You're you're really a piece of work. Why is that? What, what did I do? No, I think it's terrific. You you got into the story. I mean, you you I know the it. way you're reacting is the way I reacted when I was doing the research and the reporting for this book. I mean, I'm looking at this stuff and I'm saying I've been a journalist for 50 years. I've been working in Washington. I've been working for the New York Times. I've been reporting, and I haven't been getting down to the skinny. And I'm now getting down the skinny. And this is what happened. The thing got turned around. We had people power working for us back in the 60s and 70s. We had a consumers movement and a women's movement and an environmental right, right. movement and a strong labor movement. We had all these movements that were representing the public and and you had 92% taxes under Eisenhower who was a Republican. 77% taxes under under Kennedy. And we had good growth. People say tax high taxes going to ruin growth. Well, no, we had much better growth back then when the taxes were high. But the point was the taxes were high on the people who were really rich and the money was being spent to help the middle class. Exactly. We had a much better economy, not just not just for, for the rich people, but for everybody. There, there was much more widely shared prosperity. Um, you know, people didn't have two cars, but only one person worked. People could live, families could live. I remember that. Of one yeah. person working. Yeah, but see, when I came, Hedrick, when I came back from overseas and when I saw what was going on overseas, I already knew that in 1971, I saw this change. And I kept on telling people that this there was something wrong with the whole system and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I and it really angered me to see Walmart, when that Walmart came into being and I saw all these goods and goods coming from China because I was overseas, I saw how... How, how how much money they were going to make over this cheap labor and it just continued on and I think also the dumbing down of the American people in the in education has caused a lot of this and they do not understand what the hell is really going on and they're confused as to what's going on and they don't like they just don't they just can't grasp it yeah let me just tell you about the, about the Walmarts <clears throat> Walmart, you sort of think of Walmart as a small D democratic company because it's got so many stores and it sells to so many ordinary people. Mm -hmm. Four of the 10 richest people in America are Waltons. Now they didn't create the wealth. They're the children of Sam Walton. Sam Sam Walton created the company. This is inherited wealth. What the danger is now is that there's so much money. Do you know the top 1% in America? every year get an income equal to the entire country of Canada, to the entire country of France. Wow. Do you know that from 1979 to 2011, 84% of the entire country's increase in income, 
the entire country, you know, from Maine to California, from Washington State and Hawaii to southern tip of Florida. 84% of everything the entire country produced in additional income went to the top 1%. We're talking about several trillion dollars. Now what's going on is those people are starting to hand it on to their kids. We're starting to get an inherited wealthy aristocracy. That ain't democracy. Exactly. That ain't That's democracy. scary. And the Waltons, four of the ten richest people in America are children the same way. They don't, they don't work at Walmart. All they do is clip the stock coupons. All they, all that's they do all is they do. the dividends yeah. and the increase in the stock price. That's how they make their money. God. Four of the ten richest people in America. I, Two of the others are the Koch brothers. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. Them. I don't even want to get into that. I, I, I just find it amazing. I mean, Renegade Nation, to reclaim America. First off, you got to get the book. You got to buy this book, Who Stole the American Dream, so you can understand. Take your time and read this book and get the information, and and so you can figure this out. And and, and the other part of it is, we're going to take a break. When we come back, what I found really interesting in the book when I read it. And the first time we did the interview, just to be honest with you, I didn't have the book, so I had to go flying off the seat by, by the seat of my pants. But now I read the book, and I was in shock. I couldn't even put the book down, Renegade Nation. That's that. That's how that. It, it just riveting. It, it's riveting. It just it, it it just brings you in, and you can't put it down. But one of the things I want to talk about is the San Francisco Oakland Bay Bridge, Hedrick. I want to talk about that bridge that you had in the book. Yeah. And how interesting that is, and Renegade Nation. When you hear what they do with the with the with the uh, uh, fixing that bridge in San Francisco, you'll be you'll be absolutely amazed. So we're going to take a break. We got Hedrick Smith, the, the author of "Who Stole the American Dream," along with Richie and Marla. It's a Friday. We're talking about money, politics, and how you're getting screwed. And we'll be right back. Here's Pink Floyd. <laughs> Sugarcoat Ship. My name is Richie, along with Marla. We have Hedrick Smith on, the author of Who Stole the American Dream. We're going to continue our conversation about Walmart and what other big box stores you can go to that really support Americans. We're going to be talking about that, plus we're going to be talking about the current mess with General Motors. And um, the bridge. And we're going to talk about the bridge, too, the San Francisco Oakland Bay Bridge. A little bit of, uh, who did this song again? Guns and Roses. Thank you, Marla. <laughs> Welcome to the Jungle Man. Aloha Friday, 
the end of the work week, the salt mines, you're being let out so you can go have some fun over the weekend. We have Edward Smith on, author of Who Stole the American Dream, former Pulitzer Prize winning New York Times reporter, Bureau Chief, Bureau Chief of the New York Times in Washington, D.C. Welcome, Hedrick. Great to be with you again, Rich. Great. Thank you so much for being on, Marla. How are you? How's everything getting ready for the weekend, honey? Yeah, I'm sitting here getting ready for the weekend. Are you um, kidding? I'm, I'm, I'm paying just, attention to Hedrick. I, I, I'm just, I'm just trying, trying to have, you know, I'm just nice. Talk. Anyway, we were talking about Walmart in the prior segment, Renegade Nation. And there's other stores that you can go to other than Walmart. And one of them happens to be Costco. That's an American, an American company that does quite well. And Hedrick, can you get into a little bit more detail about Costco versus the well, Walmart thing? Well, you know, it was interesting to me. I was, we were talking before about, about how, how uh, Walmart makes tremendous profits. Uh, basically by marking up goods made in China so much, pays its CEO $20 million a year or more. Uh, the four of the richest people in the country are sons and daughters of, of Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart. They don't work at Walmart. They just own uh, more than half of Walmart, the family does. And, you know, is that the way you have to operate? Sort of Walmart says we've got to do that. We've got to keep our wages down. We can't afford to pay uh, good health benefits or retirement benefits to our workers and so forth. It's very interesting. I did a documentary for PBS, uh, Frontline, uh, back in about 2004, 2005, about Walmart. And, um, you know, that's kind of what we were told, that they had to do what they were doing. In response to that documentary and some other criticism, Walmart increased its health benefits for its workers for a few years. And then in 2011 said, we can't afford it anymore. We can't be competitive if we do that. Guess what? Costco's CEO, a guy named Jim Senegal, said, we have a moral obligation to provide decent health benefits and retirement benefits for our workers. We have an obligation to our family, workers, their families, and the communities they operate in. By the way, in my book, as you'll see, and in that documentary, as you'll see, I talked to former Walmart managers who told their employees who didn't have health insurance, go sign up for Medicaid, go to the emergency room of the hospital, go, go get your coverage from your spouse's uh, coverage, because we're not going to give it to you. And as Walmart was freeloading on the public system, not Costco. Costco's behave differently. Costco pays a higher salary to its workers by the hour. You know, it's a couple of bucks more an hour. It pays a better health benefit. It pays a it pays a much better retirement benefit. And mm-hmm. guess what? Jim Senegal, the CEO, takes a salary of two million dollars as compared to the Walmart CEO, twenty million dollars. So this is a guy who believes it, you can grow your business and share the wealth that, that middle class people, middle class workers can do well. So, you know, whenever I get a choice to shop, uh, whether I'm going to Costco or Walmart, I try to give the business to Costco because I think it's important that you have employers that treat their workers well as well as give the public a good deal, you know, on the shopping floor. Exactly. That's what we do, too. I go I go to Costco all the time. I love Costco. I rarely go into a Walmart. And like I said, the only time I go in there is to buy toilet paper. I can't believe the amount of money that Walmart makes profit-wise, they will not give um, at least some type of health care plan to their employees. It's amazing. Well, they, how, do have, they do have a health care plan. But it's, it's, a, it's, nothing, it's, but it's, it's a garbage. One. Yeah, it's, it's a, a, it's a garbage one. one. Most of them will be on Obamacare anyway, and that, that's a whole other subject to talk about. Um, so getting but into... The, but it is important to understand that when we're being told by, by businesses that they cannot afford to pay better, they cannot afford uh, better benefits, that in fact there are some companies, not a lot, that are actually doing better. 
and and that's not entirely true. The answer is the CEO and the stock owners and the wealthy owners of the company are walking away with lots of money. We just had an example in Boeing out in, out in Washington State. Uh, they said to their workers, we're going to move you from a lifetime pension plan over to a 401k, or we're not going to build any more aircraft in Washington State. 55, 56,000 workers, you're going to be out of a job or you're going to have to see your job shrink. And, and, and at the same time they did that, they increased the dividend on their stock by 50%, and they did a $15 billion stock buyback. So people owning the stock saw the stock price go up. So at the same time, they were taking a benefit away from their workers. They were giving money to the to their stock owners. So it wasn't that the company didn't have the money. It was that they decided to give it to the people at the top of the economic pile instead of people in the middle class. And that's why the middle class is, is fading away. That has happened. Now, now, Richie, that's an important story because that is what has happened in company after company after company after company for two or three decades. And that's what's hollowed out the middle class in America. That's one of the big reasons. Taxes is another thing. But the, but the difference in who gets what share of the economic pie as we grow mm-hmm. is the main reason why the middle class is in so much trouble and the rich are so super, super, super rich today. Are, are, we, Henrik, are we headed into socialism here? We're going exactly the opposite way. No, it's not socialism. This is rampant, crazy cowboy capitalism that's benefiting the people. Who are, it's benefiting the lions. How come? How come the lions are eating up everybody? How come we're not having a? Uh, there's there's no revolution in this country. Uh, just the other day, Opie, Opie and Anthony from uh, Sirius Radio, they got their health care uh, cut off, and they went crazy talking about how screwed up Obamacare is, and they got to pay more money, and they went nuts. And we've been talking about it for years about Obamacare. But one of the things that they said was, I "How come?" I want to tell you. That's a small, in the first place, I don't think it's all negative with Obamacare, but that's peanuts. It's peanuts compared to what's been taken away from the middle exactly. class. Exactly. Well, the, the most of the middle class, don't, they don't understand what's been taken away. That's, that's right. the issue. Don't that's why my book is called Who Stole the American Dream? Let me tell you, Richie, when I started out to write that book, that was not the title of the book. The title of the book was The American Dream at Risk. Because I knew middle class people were in trouble. They were losing their jobs. They were losing their homes. The economy mm-hmm. was headed over a cliff. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what had happened. But when I got into it, I said, oh, my God. They get $6 trillion stolen from them by the banks in the housing crisis. They get hundreds of billions of dollars stolen from them in retirement every year. The tax system is now benefiting the people at the top, and it's hurting the people in the middle. The payroll tax has been doubled. The income tax for the people at the top has come down. The minimum wage hasn't gone up, but the estate tax for the really rich people has come down. The whole damn thing has been tilted in favor of the people at the top, and the people in the middle don't get it. They don't get it. That's why they need to change. They don't get it. Yeah, they, they don't understand well, what's you know going why they, on. Well, you know why they don't get it? It's it's because they're not informed by the ostrich media, which is controlled by the 1%. And when you come out with a book like this, Hedrick, this explains everything. This needs to be put on the news. And like and, and, and you know, we go on alternative radio like this on the Internet. We can talk about this openly without being fired or without, you know, without any prejudice against us because we're telling you exactly why you're hurting. We're telling, and, and in the book, it tells you how this all came about. Yes, Marlon. No, I was just thinking about uh, age range. A lot of these pe- middle class people don't know any different. They don't remember how it used to be, or they the good weren't. Old days. They weren't alive then. 
Well, that's true, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, it's unfortunate, but people, people don't read a lot of books now, but you do need to read books because the newspapers and the television and the blogosphere, they're not going to go back into history. Well, this you need is, to understand, this is in order to understand where you are today, you need to know something about where you came from. Exactly. You know that in your own life. Well, if you know that in your own life and you know that about your family, then it makes some sense to know that about your country, except yeah. people don't want to take yeah. the and time. They, you're right, they don't. This should be made into a documentary or a movie. It should be made into a movie so yeah. people can actually see what has what has come down. Uh, off the air, uh, Renegade Nation, we were talking about the current uh, GM, General Motors fiasco that's going on, and where that current, uh, the new CEO, the, the girl, and I can't remember her name. Mary Barra. What, what's her name? Mary Barra. Yeah, she's... Barra, B-A-R-R-A. Okay, she's getting, uh, she's getting blasted by a congressional inquiry as to why GM did not take care of the problem with the ignition. And I have said to, to a lot of people, I feel sorry for her. She was not in charge at the time that this happened, and she's getting battered by c- Congress and also battered by the American people thinking that, the, that, that she's to blame for all of this. And she just took over in January, and she doesn't even know what the hell happened. She's trying to figure it out herself. But off the air, Hedrick said something really important, Hedrick, and I I want you to explain to Renegade Nation where the abominable administration came in to save General Motors and why, how well, actually, if you go back historically, I went, while we were off the air, I went and looked up the name of this guy, the CEO of General Motors, all during the 2000s. And during the period when this, this these spare parts were going bad was a guy named Rick Wagoner. And he was head of uh, General Motors up until March of 2009. And when the Obama administration came in and said to General Motors, which was going down the tubes at that point, and they wanted a bailout from the government, uh, the government said uh, that if you want a bailout, you've got to get rid of this guy, Rich Wagner, as, as your uh, CEO. He's a bad guy. He's not running it well. Mm-hmm. We're not going to work with him. And we don't think he's capable of turning this company around now. He's been messing it up. Now, they didn't know at the time when they said that that there was this problem with these parts that were bad and people were being killed and having accidents because of bad spare parts. But they looked at the company and they said, it's not run right, get rid of the leadership. Mm-hmm. So that was a smart move uh, made by by the president and, and mostly the guys who were working for the president. The president didn't do it directly himself. So Rick Wagner, I will bet you, is going to, in the end, get called in front of those committees. I have to say, I feel the same way you do about Mary Barrett, but I feel somewhat differently. I think she's gutsy. I really admire her. She's like a, she's like a commander of a military unit whose troops have been taken a terrible beating. And she could easily say, it wasn't me, it was somebody else, you know, forget it, it's all over, it was mm-hmm. another bunch, we're going to be different. And she's not. She's taking the heat. And I will bet you that a year or two from now, she will have restored the reputation of General Motors, and she will turn out to be a real hero. I mean, I, you know, I'm hoping that's true, because uh, certainly General Motors needs that, but we also need that as a country to see that somebody is conscientious about the way they run a, a company, and they recognize that you can't make profits over a part that, by the way, cost about $10. You know, it could be replaced in about 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is pathetic. But well, I have a question. covered it up for years. The part was Awful. actually about a buck. Yeah, it was about a buck, I think. Yeah, or something. It was, anyway. Yeah, it's it only to, a buck. Next to nothing. It was just, less I, than a buck. I heard on right. the network. Well, that makes it even worse. 90 cents. Whatever. 90 cents or something. Yeah. And this Rick Wagner, Wagner, who was the CEO of General Motors at the time, wasn't that the moron that flew in his Learjet to, in, front of the, in front of Congress? Wasn't that him? No, no, I don't think he did that. There was somebody else. There was somebody else? Was okay, I got confused. I, I, don't, I, I don't know for sure. I'll be honest. Right. I don't think so. The point was he ran the company into the ground. 
and the company was in, in finance, it was a disaster financially. Mm-hmm. That's really why the Obama administration said he can't go on. I mean, why do you want to keep a guy who is who has ruined the company at the head of it? But what's interesting is now as you go back, you see that it wasn't just financially in trouble. It was hiding defects. Mm-hmm. It wasn't honest. It wasn't fair with its consumers. Do you think the Obama administration knew that they were hiding defects and there were problems with this guy? You know, I don't know the answer to that. It's going to take good investigative reporting to find out. I, I got to tell you, do one they of still the things, that? Rich, I've learned as a reporter is always admit when you don't know. Right. There are all kinds of people in the media are going to tell you they know all kinds of things they mm-hmm. don't know. They don't know. And yeah. there's no point in faking it. I don't know the answer to that. It's a good question. And it needs to be answered, but it's not going to get answered quickly. There, there certainly are indications that within General Motors, there was an effort to cover up the problem from the government at that point because they wanted a bailout and they were afraid that if they uh, so, that if they okay. admitted what was going on, they would lose the bailout. So do you? And I, they also got they also got absolution as part of the part of the bailout. There was some interesting financial terms, and I'm not familiar with all of these, but I think they got an agreement that if there were any suits, any liabilities filed against them for prior to the time of the bailout, the company wouldn't have to pay them. The company so knew what was going on. The GM company knew what was going on. Executives knew what was going on. So they covered but it you up. You asked whether or not the Obama administration knew, and I don't know the answer. Well, I, 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 you know, it's funny because they wanted to get this guy Wagner out, get him, get him out, and they knew something was going on. They probably had some inside sources saying that they had some problems with the ignition switches, and basically, no, I don't think so. You don't think I, so? The reason I don't That's think so is this. <laughs> They were much more worried about the finances of General Motors at that point than they were about. But that's what I'm saying. If they would have came out and said that we have this, that we have, we have to recall five million cars, they would have had a harder time of getting the bailout. So why don't we just cover this up for the time being? And if some people die, so what? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Rich, I can't say you're wrong. You you lean more towards conspiracy theories than I do. Well, no, no, well, I don't know the answer. I don't know. The yeah, answer. I don't know the but answer either. That's a question, but that is a question that we need to have the mainstream media uh, well, get the, on top the, of. The mainstream media is not going to answer I, any I of this. I think they will. You, you think so? I don't believe the oh, mainstream yeah. media anymore. I, I, I firmly do not believe anything they say. And in fact, I watch NBC <laughs> and CNN. So why you got me on the program? No, because I because <laughs> you have this book and it's it's because it's, you're not mainstream. You're not mainstream. You're, I you're spent like my you're, whole year, my forty years, fifty years of my professional life. But that was different back then. Anyway, one more thing, and then we're going to go. This this. Uh, this no, I got to tell you something. God, you're talking me. about something very important. And that is, if you're going to do this job of reporting, you got to be honest. You got to follow the story where it goes. You got to remember, remember, pal. I was part of the team that produced the Pentagon Papers series on Vietnam. I remember that. I okay. read that. I had my I had my telephone wiretap by Richard Nixon for some of the stuff I was writing about the Vietnam War. I wrote about the Cold War from Moscow. I've written a whole lot of stuff all my life that has made people angry um, and the right people. You know, you got to make the right people angry. Exactly. People and, 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 you're, and you're still alive. And, and, and you know what, Henry? Not only that, I know that. I mean, if I come out to Hawaii, you'll see I'm really kicking. <laughs> I'm 80 years old, man, and I'm really kicking. Hedrick, one thing I want to say to you is thank you for doing the investigative reporting, but we need people like you 
doing investigative reporting. Cheryl Atkinson, formerly of CBS, she had all this stuff about Benghazi and all this, all this stuff. She didn't care about Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative. She, she did, all she wanted to do was get to the truth, just like you did with the Pentagon Papers and all of that. Getting to the right. truth, getting to the truth, and they will not do that now. There's this, a big change. You, you are an investigative reporter. You, you got the information and, and, and told the American public what the hell was going on. Now they but, won't let the American public know because the banksters run all of the... Uh, uh, pro- the, the media, the, yeah, the network. You know, yeah, Cheryl Atkinson. But there's good stuff. There's some good stuff about the banks in the in the mainstream media. Believe me. I mean, I'm just. I just before we got on the phone, I was just reading how uh, how uh, how Senator Carl Levin from Michigan was in a fight with the people at Caterpillar because they were ducking American taxes by shifting profits from from America over to Switzerland where they got a lower tax rate. You know, that was in the mainstream media. And and Levin is my guy. He's a, he's a you know he's an establishment Michigan congressman. Man, he's going after me. I mean, he went after Goldman Sachs. He, I remember that. That's when he said J.P. Morgan. I mean, he's eleven. You know, there's some people in the system that are that are willing to stand up and, and do it. But and you're, you're right. And Hedrick, we have a real problem in the mainstream press that, that by it, and large we do the stuff that's easy and doesn't take much gut. Exactly. But eleven, he. I remember when he went after Goldman Sachs. Remember that, Marla? That's when he said, "Oh, a sh- he said one shitty one deal. shitty deal." He kept on saying one shitty deal and the networks keep on kept on blocking it out because there was they were he said let me see the email from Goldman Sachs and they would say this is this is um, this is one shitty deal they're going to buy into the shitty deal and basically he was saying oh another shitty deal one shitty deal I kept on saying it and he's the only one that ever went after Goldman he's Sachs he's a gutsy guy he's a gutsy guy and I love Levin I mean he he's just like fabulous and when he did that the networks blanked out one shitty deal and I thought that was that was they should have Played that because of what Goldman Sachs did in the banking fiasco, and they didn't do it. And Levin, they just they just beeped it, bleeped it out. And I'm going, they should have left it in so people, the American people, can hear what exactly. Because when you say one shitty deal, you're going to get a lot of people's attention. Okay, now let me. Now that you're on that, let me give you a, a, a tip. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> there's a guy named Mark Taibbi, Matt Taibbi. Do you oh know yeah, who Rolling, he is? Rolling Stone. Yes, Rolling Stone. Yeah. He was one of the, he is one of the best reporters exposing shitty deals. Uh, done by the banks. He's got a new book coming out. I know it because the Washington Post has asked me to review it. I got a review of his book coming out in about a week in the Washington Post. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is one heck of a book about the unfairness of the justice system. When I was talking to you about um, having legal schizophrenia, yeah, we- <laughs> that's a phrase he uses in his book. And really? He talks about he goes into this whole business about how Eric Holder and Lanny Brewer didn't at the Justice Department did not go after the big banks, why they didn't go after the big banks, and how they go after the little people. And so he's really, he's really worked up. He, you would love him on Renegade. Well, Park. I you know I reached out to him about six to eight months ago, and he didn't respond back to me. I would love to have him on the air. And, Maybe well, part of the problem is you know he's up there in the big big time and and. Uh, Maybe, maybe he thinks you're not reaching anybody, but he's wrong. I mean, he's, he's, anyway, if you can get him, get him because oh. he's a, he's got one heck of a story, and he's he's one of those he's one of those digging reporters. Yeah, he he is. And I those. see a man, I just it's like you know, if you're out on a sailboat or I don't I don't surfboard, but you know, there's a way in which sailors will give a nod, a flip of the cap to each other as they pass each other on mm-hmm. the water, or mm-hmm. something like that. But I, I see a reporter like that, and I give him a tip of my tip of my hand. Yeah, he, he you know, I've been fo- I've been following him uh, for. Quite Quite some time, and he is really digging in to get yeah. this information out there. Um, and I, I appreciate everything that he's done, and I am going to reach out to him. When, when is that book going to be published? 
Uh, I think it's due out. See whether whether we fourth of April. I think it's due out by the fifteenth of April. I don't know exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose told me my review is probably going to run on the on the uh, what's next, the eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth. Probably the thirteenth of April, something like. So the Washington that. So, so po- it must be about when the book is coming out. So the Washington Post wants you to review his book before it's before it's published. For what? Well, they want to publish a review of his book when it comes out, oh, okay. so people got some idea whether, whether it's any good, and they asked different people to write interview, yeah. review different books, and they asked me to review. That's book. great. Good. Yeah. I would love for you to be on here every month or so as a contributing, because uh, <laughs> this, this then, people need. Well, to let hear me tell that. you something. The, the, the guys on the other side, they're going to keep giving us stories. I mean, this, the news is not going to go away. Yeah, it's I mean, easy. <laughs> it's not that hard. It's going to keep going. We haven't gotten today, but maybe someday we'll get into how to get organized because we got to stop big money in politics. If we don't stop big money in politics, the big boys are going to keep buying the government. The government is going to keep screwing the middle class. Wow. I mean, it's just it's, it's, it's that simple in terms of understanding it. And what I don't get is that, that lots of people who are making, you know, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars dollars a year working like hell can't keep up with their bills. Medical bills are bad. Can't afford to send their kids to college. Can't keep up with the mortgage payments and that kind of stuff. Don't understand how they've been taken to the cleaners by the big banks. And that's uh, why, Renegade Nation, you need to get this book. You need to buy the book. It's a great investment. It'll educate you. It'll inform you. You'll get the whole story going all the way back to the 70s when all this was planned and prepared out. Who stole the American dream? Basically, who stole your dream that you were told you would have as you got into your 20s and 30s and 40s? And look at you now. Look at it. That's why you need to buy this book. Yeah, we didn't expect half the country to be on welfare at this point in time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hedrick, again, thank you so much for being on. We're skipping the bridge. We're We're skipping the bridge. Oh yeah, let's take, let's talk about the bridge. Or shall real, we? Yeah, real quick on the okay. bridge. They they Renegade Nation. The bridge they rebuilt the San Francisco Oakland Bay Bridge after the earthquake. I think if I'm, I'm correct in that. But what they did was, Hedrick, where did the steel come from? Well, what's interesting is they hired American contractors because it's sort of sensitive, you know, in, in a big state like California and a big city like San Francisco, you know, that you hire American contractors. You don't get the Germans or the Japanese or the Chinese in mm-hmm. and to do it. But guess what? The contractors bought the steel from China. And there you go, Renegade Nation. And Some, guess what? And guess what? I went to the port of Shenzhen in China. When I came back, I looked at the ports of, of Long Beach and, and Los Angeles when I got back to see it in America. When I went around the port of uh, Long Beach, uh-huh. all the big cranes, they have these enormous, like 15, 20-story cranes that lift up these containers, these 20-ton containers from the ships. Mm-hmm. Guess where they're made? China. Uh, China. 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 There you go. We're not talking tinker toys here. We're talking very, very sophisticated, high-tech. Yeah, I used to live right by there, so oh, I know exactly amazing. what you're talking so, about. So again, Renegade Nation, you see that the, the the bridge, the bridge, the steel that, that when they remade the bridge came from China. Why didn't it come from Pittsburgh or from this country? From the steel workers. That was that was one thing that really caught my eye in the book. Is that nobody talks about any of this stuff, but the steel workers know, the unions know all this stuff, but nobody else knows anything. I didn't know anything about that. That the steel came from China. Why not the United States? Why not here and keep people? employed it's amazing you couldn't be more right and and that goes by the way we have to modernize our ports what i just said the stuff coming from china we have to modernize our airports we have to modernize our railroads we should be investing in modernizing our transportation to be more competitive 
is that the Chamber of Commerce, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, estimates that we've lost a trillion dollars worth of growth and, and competitive advantage by having a backward uh, uh, transportation system in this country. If we modernize it, we generate jobs for people. Exactly. Well, that's you what know, Abominable and, said and he was going to do. We'd be more competitive as a nation, and we'd create jobs. Yeah, but see, Hedrick, what more? Didn't our current president preach all of that before he became the yeah, president? Yeah, he said he was going to regenerate. Remember? Remember yeah, that? Yeah. He was going to read. why he's not doing it. He, he's a lying maniac. He, <laughs> no, no, I, I'm sorry. The bad news is, uh-uh, the Tea Party guy sitting in the house won't let him. Uh, yeah, we can go on and on. Anyway, Renegade Nation, go get the book, Who Stole the American Dream? You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at Barnes & Nobles, like I said before. And again, Hedrick Smith, the author, of a, a, a former Pulitzer Prize winning reporter in New York Times. Um, uh, the Pentagon Papers, the, the the Russians are coming. Very, very intelligent. Very great. A very One of the best investigative reporters in the country you need to get this book he tells you exactly what's going on and he will be he will be coming back on uh, every month uh, Hedrick am I right I'm, 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 yeah, yeah. I'm on my knees right now we'll <laughs> okay alright Hedrick it was yeah. a pleasure we love having you on. This is great. I love You're it. awesome. I just got to get out there and see you guys. Yeah, you, you do. You, you do. You You're can write it off as a business. Anytime. You can write it off, or you can come over here and promote the book <laughs> and lay on the beach. Okay. Hedrick, I love it. It was All a right. pleasure. You Thank be you. Good. See ya. You too. All right. Thank you. That was great. And aloha. Renegade Nation. Have a great weekend. Again, buy the book. Who Stole the American Dream? Hedrick Smith. And uh, one of the best investigative reporters in the country. And we had him here at Renegade. And we're really happy about that, Marla. For the second time. You you have a great weekend, Marla. You too. And watch out for uh, these psycho killers. Psycho killers, okay. I can't seem to face up to the facts. I'm tense and nervous.